0: Church family, it's good to see you this morning. I had a tooth wrenched out of my head on Thursday. And uh, for whatever reason, the last couple days, I've had a little lightheadedness on and off. So if all of a sudden I just tank, this is what you're to do. Uh, Don Johnson's our praying deacon of the day. Don's going to walk in and pray and ushers you're going to usher. And then we're going to hit the announcement video and... Uh, Chris will come pray and close us out, but we we hopefully won't go there, but just in case. Now, here's the reality, church family, of the world that you and I are living in today, specifically our country. Uh, Did you know, as of at least a couple years ago, seven out of 10 Americans still identify as Christian? Seven out of 10, that's 70%. Now, out of those 70% who identify as Christian, only 30% do so because they understand being a Christian as meaning they have been born again by the grace of God through personal faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Okay, so what that means is 70% of Americans see themselves as Christian, but only 30% of that group would actually potentially qualify for how we understand one biblically becomes a Christian. Now, inside of that group, only a third of those who profess to be a Christian by a new birth in Christ, only one-third possess a biblical worldview. That means a holistic understanding of all of life, That is completely and totally governed by and submissive to God's design and God's will as revealed in his word. Here's what that means on, to give you a practical level. Normally in here on a Sunday, we've got around 400 people present. Those numbers played out means that out of all of us who are present today, there would only be about 156 of us who are actually Christian. The rest would not know the Lord. And out of that 156 of us who were actually Christian, only 48 of us would have a biblical worldview. By the way, we have 48 Sunday school teachers for the entire church. So the the statistics say this, not only this, but out of all, so back up to all these Americans, uh, only only about 14% of Americans pick up and use their Bible more than four times a week. And here's what that means for us practically, church family. That means we have arrived at a day when a lot of people think they're God's people but aren't. And we're even among those who actually are God's people A deep rooting and grounding in the authority of the one true authoritatively delivered faith that God has authoritatively delivered, that Jesus has perfectly revealed, that the Holy Spirit has inerrantly recorded for us in the written word. Only a fraction of us actually see the world correctly. And there's a correlation because only a fraction of us actually spend time eating of daily bread. Now, here's what that means. It means the statistics say, keeping it just to us, most of us in this room then are not actually grounded in the one true faith. Our roots are shallow. They're they're there, but they're shallow. And they're shallow in a world where just this week, let me give you five five things I've heard this week from pastors of real churches and in every instance who quoted Scripture to support what they said. This week, Jesus was a racist who was rebuked by the Syrophoenician woman of Mark 8 and put in his place for his racism. Jesus is trans because he said he is like a mother hen who calls her chicks to herself. That Jesus being fully human is equivalent to men dressing in women's clothing. There is a major pastor of a very large prominent from a national scale, it's probably not a church many of us would be as familiar with, but it's a fairly prominent church who on stage several weeks ago, when talking about God's design for biblical sexuality, broke down in front of the congregation and said, God just doesn't make it clear. And this is all while at the Capitol in these weeks as session goes on, My brother-in-law showed me the paper. We have a lobbyist group, Christians for Abortion, quoting Scripture. Now, I hear by the groans in the room, many of you, uh, um, but understand, and while some of those may be extreme, I find realities of people who claim to be believers who mishandle the truth of God, making the biblical case for something which is unbiblical, twisting Scripture to justify whatever they want all the time. And while some may seem really nutso like that, understand that may not sound so nutso to someone who's not grown up in a home discipled by Christian parents whose roots are really shallow. The danger of those who claim to be inside the church and twist God's word is the greatest danger to our faith today. Far more so than a secular world who says, you're just flat out wrong and we don't want to listen to what you have to say. And it's this danger that Jude takes us to today. So if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to open them up to the book of Jude Remember Jude's second to last book in scripture, so if you're not familiar, just open to the back at Revelation and go one book forward, you'll find the letter of Jude. And remember Jude's writing and the central point to the whole letter is that we would as a church, as, as true Christians, we would contend for the one true objective, absolute faith, the truth. And he says, if we're gonna contend that first week, he says, you gotta know why we're contending. and. And, the, and why, why is it that we contend? Well, it's because of whose we are. We are the called of God, and, and as God's called ones, called out from, from the world, called to follow him, who we are is those who are beloved by him and kept for his glory. We got to know why we contend. We gotta know what we're contending for, and we looked at that last week, that we're contending for the one true faith, authoritatively delivered by God, perfectly revealed in Jesus, and errantly recorded uh, by the Holy Spirit through, through the, the hands of human historical men, which reveals to us God's cohesive story and clear doctrine, which leads to a transformed and fulfilling life we would call eternal life. We gotta know why we contend. We gotta know what we're contending for, and we have to recognize with whom we are contending against and where the danger really lies. Look with me, verse four, it says in verse three, I'm writing to you appealing that you contend for certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. If we're going to contend for the faith, we've got to recognize with whom we're contending against and where the danger is. And here's what he says. First, you've got to recognize the reality of infiltrators. Now, infiltrators is my choice of an English word to try to summarize what he's saying here. He says certain people, specific people, not just anybody, certain people have slipped in. They've come in covertly. They have snuck in. They they didn't come in uh, wearing massive signs, neon signs that says, danger, preaching heresy. No, they came in as if they were one of you. They snuck in. But these who snuck in, he says, understand the reality they were marked out. They were written about long ago for this condemnation. He says, says, church family, don't be surprised. You can go back through the whole Old Testament and there's a reality of false prophets. You can go through the whole ministry of Jesus and the gospels and he says many time, many will come in my name saying, do not listen to them. You can go through the whole New Testament Goodness, read Paul's letters. He he names out people preaching false gospels by name and letters. How would you like that to be your legacy for all eternity? We shouldn't be surprised. Scripture tells us there is one true, absolute, objective faith, and Scripture tells us that because there is that, they're going to be people who come and try to distort it. But it not only tells us the reality of their presence, the reality of their destruction. He says they were long ago beforehand marked out for this condemnation. So before telling us anything, he says, look, there are going to be people who sneak in. There are people who snuck in. Scripture said they were coming. And don't be afraid because they don't win. And God doesn't approve of what they're teaching. And then he, so he says something about their destiny, but he also says something about their character. They are ungodly persons, meaning they do not have an actual awe and respect and fear of God. They turn the grace of God, they replace the grace of our God, which is the basic foundation of our salvation, the basic foundation of being freed from sin, of being transformed from a broken image bearer of God and restored to a relationship with Him, is on the basis of grace. They turn the grace of God into licentiousness, is how my Bible translated. It's a word that refers to a selfish abandon it's a spirit of moral anarchy that goes after whatever debauchery, sexual immorality or sensual pressure it wants without any sense of restraint. It says the character of these people is to take the grace of God which saves and instead replace it as an excuse, hey God saves you, you're no longer going to hell, do whatever you want. And it says that they deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ, meaning, and remember, these people have snuck in. If you're gonna sneak into a church, it's not gonna go so well to sneak into a church going, yeah, your Jesus isn't real. It's gonna be pretty obvious. Now, you sneak into a church by saying, oh yeah, praise Jesus, he's so good, he's Lord. Yet here he says, these people, their character, They doesn't matter what comes out of their mouth, by the action of their life and the revelation of their words, They deny the lordship of Jesus Christ. This is their character. Here is the reality, church family. We cannot live today one going, oh my goodness, I'm so shocked there's people like this. You mean not everybody who teaches the Bible, not every pastor out there, not every person who writes a Christian book or puts out a quote-unquote Christian podcast is, is sound? No, they're not all. We can't be surprised by it because we can't be caught with our heads down, taken unaware. There has to be a recognition, church family. We live in a day and age where we've got to have, to use an old football term, you've got to have your head on a swivel because there may be people who have put on the uniform acting like they're on your team who really aren't. We recognize the reality. But then he says this, recognize recognize the sin of the infiltrators look at verse 5 I desire to remind you though you know all things once for all he says I desire to remind you I want to highlight I want to bring to your attention though you know all things once for all now what is he saying there well simply put he's he's being very gracious to not be belittling He's referencing the fact that when you and I come to faith in Christ, according to 2 Peter chapter 1, you and I have been given everything we need for life and godliness. The Holy Spirit of God indwells us, lives within, seals us never to leave. He convicts us of sin. He leads us in the way of truth. He reminds us of Jesus' actual word. He brings to mind the word of God. Not only do we have the spirit within, but we have the word In front of us, we have access to the written word, so there is no excuse, we are not lacking what we need to be able to spot the counterfeit gospel. So I'll remind you, though you know everything once for all, but though we have all that, here's what's interesting. You and I possess everything we need for life and godliness, but obviously we don't always remember everything we need. Otherwise, Jude would not have to remind us says I want to remind you I want to call your attention to the fact and he gives three Old Testament examples says that after saving a people out of the land of Egypt God subsequently destroyed those who did not believe and angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of darkness uh, for the under darkness for the judgment of the great day Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Now, let me give you a preference. Jude's going to mention about nine different Old Testament examples, nearly every one of which are not the stories you learned in Sunday school growing up which means they're not stories or or things we are as familiar with. His original readers would have heard these examples and they would have gone, ah, I know what you're talking about, got it. But we don't live in that day. We're not as familiar. So understand, here's what I'm going to do this morning for the sake of time. I'm going to keep us focused on what's the point of each. And you're probably going to have about five questions that take you down some wild rabbit trails because some of these stories are pretty wild. Come Wednesday night to Bible study. We'll unpack all the background and I'll answer your questions. Here's what he says, he's he's quoting out of Numbers 14, the same people of God who watched the greatness, goodness and faithfulness of God, preserve them through the plagues, part the Red Sea and carry uh, carry them to the other side and eliminate Pharaoh's army. The same people who who saw the mercy of God when they worshiped the golden calf at Sinai and and God called them back who who received the law, who entered into covenant with him, who watched God provide water and, and manna in the wilderness, these same people When God said, go into the land, they said, no, God, you're tricking us. You just want to kill us. We can't take that land. They refused to take God serious at his word. And God expects his people to take him seriously because he takes himself seriously in what he says. And here's the example here. These people, though they seem to be a part of the people of God, God did not hesitate to destroy them because they did not believe who he is and what he says. Then he says, angels kept in an eternal bonds. Uh, the readers this time would have understood that to refer to Genesis 6, the sons of God, who, who it says went and uh, cohabitated with, with human women and produced giant offspring, the Nephilim. Told you, rabbit trails. And Jude doesn't answer the question of, is that exactly what they were, is that not? Here's what Jude's point is. There are angels who God created, who God gave a, a place of authority, a place of a dominion, a place of home, and those angels saw something that was forbidden from them, that was beyond the boundaries of what God had set for them and they left and crossed that boundary they rejected the authority and the boundaries and the standards of God. And in the same way as they rejected those boundaries, it mentions Sodom and Gomorrah. That Sodom and Gomorrah indulged in gross immorality, which is a word that refers to any sexual action in thought or deed that is expressed or satisfied outside of one biological man and one biological uh, female woman in the exclusive covenant of marriage. Now here's what that means. If that's the standard, one biological man, one biological woman in the covenant, exclusive covenant of marriage, if that is where uh, sexual, uh, sexual satisfaction is to be found, anything outside of that, whether it is heterosexual, if it is homosexual, if it is transgender, whatever other things you want to come down the line and society turns to, it is, if it is outside of God's design for sexuality, it is this word sexual immorality. It is sin. Amen. And specifically with Sodom and Gomorrah, it says they went after strange flesh. It is referring there. The example with Sodom and Gomorrah is the men saw but to their eyes was beautiful men, and they wanted them. It was a sin of homosexuality amongst the millions of other sins that Sodom and Gomorrah had. And it says in the same way, just like these angels crossed the boundaries of God, so Sodom and Gomorrah crossed the boundaries. Now it mentions in all three of these examples that God brought judgment, God brought destruction, God was not pleased. Now look what it says. This is the background. Look what it says. Yet in the same way, These men, these infiltrators, by dreaming, defile the flesh, they reject authority, and they revile angelic majesties. It says in the same way as these three examples, these these teachers, these people who have infiltrated, who've come in, who've snuck in amongst you, they are guilty of sin. And what is their sin specifically? It says that by dreaming, which is a reference to this, these people have come in and said, hey, hey. God has revealed to me that this is really okay. God has given me a special insight. I've gone away. In fact, I listened to a, 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 a story last night of, of a man who, uh, who is way outside the authority of Scripture. He would be on a very hyper-conservative legalistic bent who espoused things that scripture doesn't say in the name of, I went and fasted for 40 days and God revealed this to me, I'm his prophet. And this man was huge in family Christian circles, especially in the 80s and early 90s. This is what they're doing. They're saying by dreaming, so we've got this authority. They do three things. They defile the flesh. Listen, a mark of false teaching, if we're going to recognize the sin of false teachers, a mark of false teaching is any time we begin to loosen the standards of sexual morality and embrace the acceptance of behavior that God clearly prohibits in his word and which the Church has historically always been in unity on recognizing. We see this today where we ignore, I I find, biblical cases for why you can have an open marriage and not be faithful to your spouse. I find biblical cases for why it's okay for uh, young, it's okay for single people to live with each other before marriage to test the waters I can find, I can show you biblical cases for homosexuality or transgenders or any other form of sexual expression that ignores God's pattern of one biological male, one biological female in a covenant of marriage for life till death does part. This is a mark, it ignores God's nature. Typically, this is how we see this today. Oh, God is love. And if you really love someone you love them just the way they are, and God wants you to be happy. Now listen, is God love? Yes. First John says, God is love. Does God love each human being just the way we are? Absolutely. For while we were still sinners, God loved us. But God's love doesn't want to make us feel good about our sin. God's love died on a cross proclaiming a message or pen of your sin so I can save you and make you whole. Defile the flesh, we see this today. They reject authority, meaning they reject Jesus' ways. They reject the authority of God to determine our beliefs and our conduct. They reject the authority of God's written word and what it says doctrinally and morally. And listen, church family, we see this today. A mark of such infiltrators is a willingness to hold loosely to sound doctrine, to hold loosely to biblical authority. And instead there is this desire, this proclivity to reinterpret scripture in light of whatever is common in culture because somehow We've been constrained in culture for the last 2000 years and have missed what's really being said. We see this today in people who reject any kind of gender role in the family or church. We see this in people who reject a, a call. When you are saved as a Christian, God calls you to be part of a local church. This idea that I can be a Christian, but I'm not gonna have any love or care for the church, it is unbiblical and a rejection of God's authority. We see this today when we promote health, wealth, and prosperity. If you just have enough faith, God is going to bless you. Except that Paul had faith probably more than any of us in this room, and when he said, God, heal me, God said, no. My grace is enough, and I will perfect my power in your weakness. It ignores the reality of suffering, the fact that, it is that we are given as a gift of grace to suffer with Jesus for the sake of gospel, the gospel according to Philippians. Can God bless you with health, wealth, and prosperity? Yes. Is there a promise if you follow Jesus, he will give you health, wealth, and prosperity? No, not in this world. When we cross lines and promote things, when we reject, and by the way, the rejection of biblical authority Today, it's common for most of us to see that on what we would maybe label a a liberal bent. You can do the same thing on what we would label a conservative bent. Here, Jude's calling out people that are promoting gross sexual immorality and ignoring the authority of Scripture. But in Galatians, Paul calls out people who want to set up all sorts of legalisms and come up with rules that God doesn't have. You can bend it either way in rejecting the authority of Scripture. And make no mistake, when we begin to redo and and change doctrines, it comes in danger. In the 1970s, there was a survey done at at Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. At the time, uh, over 90% of students who went into school there, these are pastors going in, uh, men to be future pastors, over 90% of them affirmed things you would think they affirmed. The Bible's without error, Jesus died on a cross, Jesus rose from the grave, salvation is in Christ alone. Upon graduating, the highest Of those four statements in terms of those same students, 90% of whom believed when they went in, upon graduating, less than a third believed those things. And some of you were Southern Baptists in the 70s and had no clue that's what some of our seminaries were teaching. Why? Because people can creep in and begin to shift and downplay doctrinal. Jesus doesn't really have to die on the cross. Jesus, yes, Jesus does. Not only this, but they revile angelic majesties. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, he's going to give a further example. Look with me. But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment. But he said, the Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things which they do not understand and things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals by these things are destroyed. Here's what he says. These people who've infiltrated, they are claiming, and he mentions this story. That's from an extra biblical source where Moses dies because God takes away and buries the body. And it mentions this story. Now, again, told you there's a lot of opportunities for rabbit trails. You're gonna go, but pastor, I wanna know more about that. Great, come Wednesday. Tune in online Wednesday. Let me just give you the point. He mentions a story because what these individuals are doing is they are claiming an authoritative knowledge about and an authority over the supernatural realm, angels and demons that Scripture doesn't give them. And so in that way, they make slanderous accusations about the spiritual realm that they don't actually do. We see this today. There's a very popular video of a... Of a Uh, an evangelist who was a major spiritual um, advisor to a former president who is on stage commanding angels to come out of Africa. Church family, you and I have zero authority over angels. Now, when Jesus returns, we're going to judge the angels, and then we will. But right now, we don't. They minister to us. They care for us. They watch us, but we don't have authority over them. We can do the same thing with demons, while Jesus gives a certain level of authority to his believers, if you encounter a demon to drive them out at the same time, here's probably what most of us do. If some can overdo it, they worship the angelic or the spiritual realm. They, they're hyper-focused on those things. For many of us, the reality is we do the same thing by showing a lack of proper respect to the fact that there really is a demonic host. And so we play around with cultural things like dream catchers and spirit animals, and we don't recognize the real demonic powers behind it all. We see these things today. In summary, what he says about these people is they speak about things they don't understand. To quote Paul, they're always asking questions. They sound really good. They bring these new things, but they never arrive at an actual firm knowledge of the truth as revealed in the Word. So they speak about things they don't understand, and they are instead driven by impulse, by instinct, To destruction. Makes you think of how some of the northern tribes will will hunt polar bears or wolves, where they'll take bone or knives and wrap them in blood and freeze them. And those animals, by instinct, will pick up on the scent of that blood, and by instinct, will begin to go after and to lick that ice, numbing their tongue, which will then get ripped to shreds, or they will swallow the bone that will turn inside and rip to shreds, and they are killed by their own instinct. It says these infiltrators are not driven by truth, but by instinct, and by that they are destroyed. He says, woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. They, and for pay, they've rushed headlong into error of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. He says, he says here's what they've done. They've gone the way of Cain, meaning what? Cain knew what was right to do, Cain, offer this sacrifice. And Cain said, no, I won't offer that sacrifice. Instead, I'll kill my brother. These people know what is the truth of God, but they choose to reject it. The error of Balaam, the famous prophet whose donkey threw him off and spoke to him. Balaam was asked to prophesy against God's people. He couldn't prophesy against them. But you find out later on what he did do is went to the king of Moab and said, Hey, I can't prophesy against them, but if you'll go send all of your prettiest girls down where all those Israelite guys are, they'll commit sexual immorality and then God will take care of them for you. Why? Because the king of Moab promised to give him quite a fat paycheck. So what does it say about these people? It says, not only do they choose what is wrong, but they lead others to choose what is wrong for personal profit, whether that's financial or, or some other means. So as they perish in the rebellion of Korah, referencing uh, Korah was uh, one of the Levitical families and he did not like the authority that that God gave to Aaron and or to Moses and Aaron, and he led a rebellion and, and was subsequently destroyed, which implies this: these people aren't just anybody, these are leaders, these are teachers. But they reject the authority God has established in his word or in the local church to say today, these people are podcasters, writers, authors, pastors. And we've got to recognize the danger because here's what it says about these individuals. They are hidden reefs in your love feast when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by the winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. He says, recognize church family, not just their reality, not just what their sin is, but recognize their danger. Because these people who, when you describe all this, it sounds, wow, danger, dangerous. It says, they're the hidden reefs. They're the rocks as you're seeking the safety of the shore that you can't see, that will rip a gash in your boat and shipwreck your faith. It says they have no fear, there is no worry. They are at your love feasts, which were these intimate gatherings, the most intimate expression of fellowship in the early church. They're there amongst you, unnoticed and unashamed. It says they, they only shepherd for themselves They only look out for themselves. They may act like they care, but they don't truly care. They're clouds without water. Meaning they promise something, but don't deliver. All of us know that whenever Texas hits a drought and the weatherman comes on, we're getting rain tomorrow. We're getting rain tomorrow. We're getting rain tomorrow. 90 days later, no rain. Says they're like that. They promise you something, but cannot deliver. They're autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead. Meaning this. There's no fruit being produced. Why? Because they're a dead tree. There's no life. What they give does not give life. Instead, what they do tosses and and throws the waves and it it casts up shame like foam. And they're deceiving. Wandering stars would be planets. I don't know if you saw right now. There's five planets that are visible, four to the naked eye in our night sky. But planets are different than stars. Stars are always in the same spot at the same time. Planets are here, then here, then here. You can't navigate a boat by the planets because they are misleading and deceiving. And that's what he says about these individuals. Here's the danger, church family. The danger of is though these infiltrators may seem kind, warm, and embracing, though they may claim Jesus and use biblical terms and quote Bible verses, though they may be incredible communicators though they will tickle many ears and they will have a following of many people there is a real danger we may like and embrace them and open ourselves to a counterfeit truth we live in a challenging day church family because you have and I have more access to quote unquote Christian teachers than ever before before of whom we will never see and deal with face to face. That person's, oh, it's so good. Oh, listen to that podcast or read this book. Oh, Oh, do this. And we're driven to hear and consume all these things by people we don't even know personally and can give an account for. But we have access to hear it, to hear what they say. And here's the problem. The danger is we might be attracted to them, and here's the issue, what they teach will never satisfy. Jude's desire is that the mercy, peace, and love of God would be multiplied to, to his people. The desire is for grace, mercy, peace, and the love of God to abound experientially for us to experience that in our relationship with God, for us to experience that in our relationship with each other but the promise of biblical reasons for your unbiblical desires is that why it may gratify our flesh and it, would, it takes us out from the angst of society for not liking our old-fashioned beliefs. It trades life for death. It trades true satisfaction for the emptiness of a lie. It trades a restored identity for a fraudulent identity based on sin. It trades hope for hopelessness there is a great danger we've got to be aware and when you recognize it you may be prone to fear but look lastly real quick with me here Here's what he says It was about these men that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all, to convict all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, fault finders, following their own lusts, arrogant speakers, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. All throughout the passage, And now culminating here at the end, Jude makes very clear and wants us to recognize, recognize the reality of infiltrators, recognize the sin of infiltrators, recognize the danger of infiltrators, recognize the destiny of infiltrators. It should not surprise us that they are here, but it also should not cause us to be afraid. Those who stand against Jesus in the name of Jesus will not win. And if we understand that, it's gonna lead us to do one of two things, or if not both. One, it's gonna lead us to repent, to turn away if we have been buying in to false truth. To stop listening, maybe to or reading some authors or speakers who's, who really aren't lining up with, with Scripture. And to, to repent, to ask the Lord for forgiveness, where we've tried to twist Scripture and, and find people who will tell us what we want, tickle our ears so we can have Jesus but keep our sin too. Repent simply means turning. It's turning away from that which is false to what is true. And I want to be clear as you're out here today, church family, there may be some things that were brought up today where you're not actually advocating it, but maybe some of these sins that came up you struggle with. Let's be real clear. Jude's addressing very sternly those who promote this. If you're human and you're saved, you're going to have sin you're tempted by and you struggle with. And we want to be a church who's going to walk with you through every last ounce. Because by God's grace and power, you can face temptation all your life and walk in freedom and victory. Amen. But we've got to acknowledge when we've taken the wrong path and turned back to the right path, and we've got to resist, firm in the faith. We've got to not, be, we've got to not fall in, but we've also got to not give up. Now, we're going to unpack that more next week as we come to the end of Jude. But let me tell you this. When I was in high school, as far as how do we resist, if we're going to recognize these things that lead us to turn, to repent, to not fall in to the danger of false teaching, but also to resist it, how do we resist it? When I was in high school, there was a very cutting-edge pastor at the time who began to produce these really high-quality videos they were anywhere from 11 to 18 minutes and they'd be in these scenic places and remember uh for you younger folk um this was not when youtube was a thing this these were dvds you had to go buy them 20 at the christian bookstore go down to lifeway or mardell or if you lived in bryan college station scripture haven in the mall because there was no lifeway or mardell and these videos, he would unpack some topic and he would talk real calm. It was real cool. These videos were popular. They played him in the college ministry as a high school student. I saw him in the student ministry. And there was always something about it that just was off. There were things, it's not so much that he said something that was absolutely wrong. There were just things he said that seemed ambiguous and just something was always off in my spirit. I wasn't a big fan. Several years would pass and this same pastor would come out with a book in which he tries to stay ambiguous but he asserts that hell is not real because God is love and God loves everyone. Love wins in the end. And all of a sudden, he stepped out of these murky waters and very clearly began to challenge core doctrines of Scripture. We would look at his doctrine and in the very biblical sense say this man biblically, historically, is a heretic. But for a decade prior to that, he had all these videos that the church bought hook, line, and sinker. Now, how would I have a high school kid with no seminary training, know any of this? Here's why I give this to you. Do you know how God made me sensitive for that? Because God had been working for several years in my life to ground me in the Word by reading my Bible daily and spending time in prayer asking for wisdom where I was learning how to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading. Church family, it's not rocket science. If we're going to resist firm in the faith, we've got to just do the simple basic things, seek Him in His Word, ask for wisdom and prayer, and walk in sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Amen. The real danger if we don't contend and recognize who we're contending with is you don't get the mercy, peace, and love of God from a counterfeit gospel. In this world, and you and I need the mercy, peace, and love of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we look to you. Thank you that you are not ambiguous. While there are certainly some things we don't understand in every little uh, question we might ask, Lord, 99% of everything in your will you've made very, very exceedingly clear. So, Father, may we be a people who submit to you, who honor you, who... who, um, Accept who you are for how you say you are at your word and who are yielded to doing what you tell us to do and standing where you, where you stand because it's what you say. May we do it with grace and kindness, with care, with hope, and may we do it with roots sinking deep into the one true faith that we would not waver when the wind blows. Jesus, as we respond now, we look to you, and it's in your name I pray.